Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 352. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey. This week on the show, we'll be reviewing Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space, alongside someone watching on the watch list, new releases in theaters, VOD, and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be super helpful. This episode is sponsored by Podcorn, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. And I have a couple housekeeping things to go over before we dive into some cosmic horror with our review. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. just two things. New Ryan Watches movie is dropping on Thursday, so tune in to that. We had him watch Brawl in Cell Block 99. He wanted an action movie, so we gave him some uh, grisly S. Craig Zoller action. We'll see if he likes that. And there's going to be a new episode of Saved by the 90s that's going to be dropping on Monday the 27th. So stay tuned for that. With that, I think we can dive in. Color Out of Space. This is uh, directed by Richard Stanley. Richard Effin Stanley. He has been out of the game for a minute. This stars Nicolas Cage and Mm -hmm. uh, Jolie Richardson. I have a synopsis here. A town is struck by a meteorite and the fallout is catastrophic. I'm going to just correct that. Not correct that, but maybe just give it a little little bit more detail here. It's not a town. It's like a person's. It's it's like a family's front yard that gets struck. It's Nicolas Cage's front yard. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it seems to really only affect him, him and his family. Yeah, and it's his animal. Not so. I don't know. Not really a town. Yeah, I don't know if it's one hundred percent catastrophic either. I mean, for them, yes, obviously. Now, this is based on the H.P. Lovecraft novel. This is one of the few films that is like directly based on a Lovecraft novel. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken. You know, you have a lot of these like Lovecraft inspired stories, mm-hmm. but you don't really have too many sort of one-to-one adaptations. And to my knowledge, now I haven't read Color Out of Space, but to my knowledge, this is a pretty faithful adaptation of the original story. With that, Kevin, what were your initial thoughts? on Color Out of Space? Well, this would be a pretty quick episode because I honestly have very little to say about this movie. It was fine, I guess. It was eh. And I, I don't know, like, honestly, like, I literally when I was finished watching it or even, like, a little bit before finishing it, I just remember thinking to myself, like, wow, I don't really have an opinion about any of the elements, any of the facets of this movie whether it's the music, the cinematography, the effects, the performances, like everything is just kind of just kind of bland. Mm-hmm. But it's not it's not bad. Like it's not terrible. I agree with you in some aspects. I think that this is a movie for me that it did pretty much go straight down the middle. There weren't a lot of really great things that I loved about it, but I don't have too many negative criticisms with it either. I, I liked yeah. I liked the aesthetics. I liked the the look of this like so to to elaborate a little bit on this synopsis, you have this meteorite and it gives off this like pink gas or aura or something that sort of infects everything that it comes into contact with and eventually everything turns pink and I kind of dug that. Like I was I was kind of mm-hmm. into the whole pink aesthetic there was another movie that came out last year called braid that used a lot of really kind of bright pink colors in its in its aesthetic and i thought that that looked really cool so i like the aesthetic of this overall diving into the specific like cinematography average like it was fine Mm -hmm. there was some good lighting in this you know they they made pretty good use of the lighting but for the most part i thought it was just fine nothing nothing outstanding I think I think using the pink aesthetic, they could have done a little bit more with it to make it really kind of pop. You know, like turning everything pink could could lead to some really cool visuals. And I feel like they didn't quite capitalize on that. No, and I think they, they masked it a little bit because one of the things that I did enjoy effects wise is 
the 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 subtle changes that kind of happen like in his property like on his mm-hmm. property with the flowers and stuff and the the vines around the tree and like each time they would come back to it you would see how they progressed rapidly over a short period of time right mm-hmm. and like you said the this pink color palette that they use with the flowers and everything like it reaches its peak at the end of the movie which also happens to be nighttime so like the 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 peak of all of this kind of happens at night and you don't really get a good good look at everything right everything's just kind of you know masked in the darkness yeah and all the there's just so much fog and steam just so much space fog mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> a lot of cosmic fog going on here <laughs> so much man so I was kind of expecting, I guess I'm, I guess I shouldn't have been, but I was kind of expecting a Mandy type movie out of this. It felt very Mandy esque to me, and I don't, I don't know if that's because it's coming out relatively, relatively soon after Mandy was released, and I remember hearing about this and reading about it very shortly after Mandy was playing festivals and and came out and it seemed like it was going to be kind of a head trip, you know, like a lot of Lovecraftian stories deal with, with madness and like inner turmoil and stuff like that. And I thought that it was going to be a little bit, a little bit more surreal, a little bit more kind of out there, but I found it to be pretty straightforward. Like as, as far as the narrative goes. Yeah. It wasn't head trip at all because I was kind of expecting the same thing. And like as it progressed, I'm just kind of sitting there waiting for you know the sharp left turn. Like yeah. okay, things are going to get out of hand. Yeah, and that, like and things that, are going to start getting nuts. <laughs> it doesn't really happen. And that that isn't to say that there's not some crazy stuff that does happen in this. I mean, what happens to his wife and his family? Yeah, okay, uh, not, that. not to give. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's some. There is some pretty significantly crazy things that happen in here. Felt like a Brian Newsna film. All of a sudden, but yeah, that that's pretty dialed back for the most part, and so I so I guess I was a little bit disappointed with with that. I wanted it to be a little bit more over the top. Now Nicolas Cage, as you might imagine, does go off the rails a little bit in this. It, it doesn't start off that way. He starts off pretty normal, but once the the madness starts to hit him, he starts to get a little little kooky. Yeah, he starts doing a voice and some, some hand gestures. So, okay. So first of all, I love the the scene when they're eating their that meal when everybody's still normal and and he's just like everybody loves ducks. And then there's also that one line that he says where he goes he goes the dream you dream alone is just a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. <laughs> Uh, there's oh, there's also a great scene where Nicolas Cage is milking an alpaca, <laughs> and they spend a lot of time on him milking they that do. Al- <laughs> that alpaca. They, sh- they sure do. There's a, there's a lot of focus on the alpacas. Yeah, actually. He, the alpacas is. I'm wondering if that was in the book. If that was like a thing in the book, or yeah, if, was it like how many pages were dedicated to alpacas? Very, yeah, Lovecraft. Were alpacas that big? Back then, like, were there a lot of alpaca farmers? I, I don't I can't know. Imagine that they were. The, the the short story. I don't know when it was published, but it was probably a, a ages ago. Yeah. Now, this was originally a screenplay written by Richard Stanley, and to my knowledge, he wrote this screenplay like decades ago, and just nobody ever wanted to make it. He wrote it like 20 years ago. Now, if you're not familiar with Richard Stanley, he is he was a he was a pretty big up and coming sci-fi director. He did like two features. He did hardware and he did um oh, what was the other one he did? It was more it was like a both of them were kind of this like cyberpunk. Like Dust Devil. Dust Devil, yeah. Both were awesome, by the way. And he was he was originally tapped to direct the island of Dr. Moreau, which was gonna be like that was like his dream project. Like he loved loved that that the book and he, he was excited to direct the the movie. And famously he was fired off of off of that movie. There's a whole documentary about what happened, um, and I highly recommend it. It's a really great documentary. What was it called? The Do- uh, Lost Soul, The Doomed Journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau. Mm-hmm. So so after that, after Dr. Moreau, he pretty much just left Hollywood. He was like, I'm done. Done with this shit. 
and was gone for a long time. And then the dudes at Spectre Vision came and they they wanted to do a Lovecraft uh, adaptation. And they found out that Richard Stanley had this script for Color Out of Space. So they met with him and they weren't sure about like, is he going to be like, what's, what's going to be the deal here? And I guess they hit it off and they wanted to bring him back into the fold and make another movie after many, many years. And it turned out yeah. they they asked him, they were like, what what were you doing for like the last, you know, decade or or more? And he was searching for the Holy Grail. Oh, that's what he was. He was literally searching for the Holy Grail is what Richard oh, okay. Stanley was doing. So, OK, so he's he's gone mad himself. <laughs> I he he believes that the Holy Grail was a black stone aerolite that was a fragment of a meteorite that had slammed into Earth many, many years ago, which had potentially been the basis of a number of religions. So he doesn't think okay. that it's uh, it's necessarily like an actual grail, but he thinks that it's like... He thinks he, he, like, he might think it's an opal, like an uncut gems type deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. That's well, what, make a movie about that. That's what he thinks. <laughs> I know you could make a whole movie about Richard Stanley searching for the Holy Grail. Uh, according to the press notes here, it says uh, to prove his point, he he rubbed. So he, when they were meeting with him the first time in a diner, he had he just happened to have uh, two pieces of a meteorite in his pocket. And he rubbed them together to show how they bled when friction was created between the two stones. Okay. And he explained that these were merely alien metals that had secreted some sort of high density substance in the iron family when they're rubbed together. Uh huh. So it seems okay. to, I mean, it really seems like Richard Stanley and H.P. Lovecraft, like they just go hand in hand. He just seems like the perfect wow. guy for this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, if you're going to get someone to make a movie about a meteorite striking someone's house or the front yard of someone's house and making them go mad, it. I mean, it sounds like you can't really come up with a better director for that. As As lukewarm as I felt about the movie, I really hope that this is... A, a stepping stone for Richard Stanley to get him back into making movies because I would love to see, I think that he has a really brilliant mind and I think that he's a, an insanely creative filmmaker and I would love to see him work on more projects in the future. Yeah. I'm for it. I'm for it. I mean, but like I said, you know, pretty much like you said, I think we're in agreement where it, it you know, kind of straight down the line. It's good. It's fine. Color out of space is fine. Like I again, like you, I don't have a ton of negative things to say about it, but I also don't really have anything with any type of enthusiasm. Right. I don't even have too many notes with this. Uh although I did I did think I'm pretty sure that when he starts to go crazy, first of all, I think that it's some sort of message on drinking too much because it's the bourbon that makes him go crazy, the ice cubes. Because the, well, wa the, water's, the, the water's tainted. Yeah. Well, he also takes a shower. And I love, I love when he sits down. His skin is just fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah. just, just absolutely, like his whole arms. And he just takes, it, just dips two fingers in some bourbon and just rubs a little yeah. bit on his forearms. <laughs> like, yeah, that'll take care of it. <laughs> like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, he's in really bad shape and... uh He's just like, oh, the doctor's a, a, an hour away. I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna drive an hour. This this, this will probably go away. My, my skin is cracking like the desert, and it's gonna fall <laughs> off at any moment. A couple uh, of dabs of bourbon, I should be okay. Yeah, just disinfect it. You know, I felt like when he was really going crazy that he was doing a Trump impression. That's what it. To all I could it think did, about. It did. All I could think about was bit. that is Nicolas Cage doing a Donald Trump impersonation, like straight up. Yeah. Cause he has like this really weird accent yes. all of a sudden. And, and I, he's doing, and he's doing the, the hand finger mm -hmm. stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that was Trump or uh, Nicolas Cage channeling Donald Trump there. I don't know if it was like overt, like I, I don't know if he was doing it and hoping that no one else would 
pick up on it or what, but I'm pretty sure that, that was a Trump impersonation. Yeah. It had to be. It's definitely inspired. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a pretty wild movie, but uh, I don't know. I just expected a little bit, a little bit more. Thought it was gonna be a little bit crazier, yeah. a little bit crazier. Yeah, and it's got some really great I marketing mean, material, <laughs> some really great posters and stuff. And I thought it was just gonna be just way out there, just full on madness, full on Lovecraft madness. Yeah, and there's not a whole lot of you know Lovecraftian creatures and the like. Like you get to see a little bit of the alpacas. Right, Once yeah. Turn. That but was even cool. that kind of like that's masked a little bit. And I mean, he does lose his shit. Cage interacting with his alpacas, he just he he loses all, all, all of his senses. Yeah, and uh, you know they have that little prolonged like what was it the the praying mantis thing comes out, but a lot of it is just like this weird pinkish purplish light. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of cosmic fog some flowers that you don't really see up close and it's mostly just Jack Jack staring at nothing and giggling. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. <laughs> no, uh, no Cthulhu or anything like that. No, nothing really too crazy. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. I, I so was... in, in that respect, I, I was a little bit disappointed because, you know, I, I kept waiting for more. Yeah. I would say the, like the Stuart Gordon, adaptations of Lovecraft seem to be more, more in line. Of course, who knows? I, like I said, I haven't read the story. Maybe, maybe this story itself is more subdued than some of the other things. Yeah. Well, I think it's also difficult when you have something color out of space and they talk about, you know, it's this, it's this, uh, this color that they've never seen before. And it does, it's not known in the, the visual spectrum. Like, it's tough to kind of visualize that and make that come alive in a movie because, like, you're bound to fail because what do you get? Like, it's pink is purplish. Like, it's not that wild to me as a color. It's just like, yeah, it's pink. Yeah. Gotcha. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> like, you can't looking. create, like, which, it is weird, though, because I was just thinking about this, uh, like, me and my wife had this discussion, like, a couple of weeks ago, like, Try to imagine a new color. Like it's it's literally impossible. Right. Like you can't even like you can't do it. It's yeah. so fucking ridiculous. Exactly. So you're, like you're you're almost set up to fail in adapting this into a visual medium. Yeah, maybe that's why it hasn't really been attempted before. And maybe that's why a lot of Lovecraft stories haven't been direct adaptations and they've been more like inspirations and like loose adaptations and things like that. I think a lot yeah. of a lot of his stories have are hard to put into a visual medium. Uh, all right, that's Color Out of Space. Let's go ahead and give it a score. Kevin, when are you going to give it out of ten? Uh, like a five, five and a half. Okay, I'm sitting right right there with you. I'm at more like a five and a half, six on this. Okay, all right. Uh, Color Out of Space will be in limited release on Friday. I think. It, uh no you know i think it's just theaters i don't think it's on vod I think it's just theaters before we head into the watch list i want to take a moment to thank our sponsor for this episode podcorn now if you're a podcaster like us and you're looking for an easy way to get sponsorships without having to deal with a middleman podcorn is your answer you just sign up for an account plug in your show details and you get access to a large marketplace of sponsorship opportunities you always retain creative control over your content and the service allows you to choose what type of sponsorship you want to pitch so if you want to do a mid-roll spot like this one rather than a pre-roll or a product review you can simply pitch that we started using podcorn recently and i can tell you it's super simple to use when i had a question about my account their support team was really quick to respond so if you're ready to take your show to the next level and begin monetizing check out podcorn.com podcasters again that's podcorn.com podcasters and we'll be sure to have a link in the show notes all right, let's talk a little bit about what we've been watching. Uh, I don't have uh, a whole lot going on this week. Ooh. Okay, it's been a pretty light week. Let's see. I saw Tammy and the T Rex. Finally got to see Tammy and the T Rex, the gore cut. Yes, 
Now, uh, we are going to be giving away a Blu-ray copy of Tammy and the T-Rex. It's actually the 4K edition. The f- it, so, so it's in 4K. It also includes the regular Blu-ray. So 4K Ultra HD and Blu-ray. We'll have a link to the where you can enter to win that. We'll be doing that till the end of this month. So enter for your chance to win. Tammy and the T-Rex, the gore cut. This is directed by Stuart Raffle. Oh boy, this movie is so much crazier than I expected. Now, I don't know if this is a movie I saw as a kid. I, I seem to remember this movie being on TV and maybe seeing it like in the video store. But I don't think I actually ever saw it as a kid because I was like probably 10 when this came out. So I think I would have remembered. Uh, at any rate, it's so it stars Denise Richards and Paul Walker, right? Yeah. They're high, they're high school kids, and there's this like gang of teenagers oh, no. that they seem to like run the town. They just do whatever they want. And <laughs> wasn't there wasn't there just another movie that you watched that was like this? <laughs> yeah, the race. <laughs> so, so the 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 leader of this gang is basically just says that Denise Richards is his property. Even though she doesn't want to have anything to do with this guy, he's just like, well, you're mine. You're mine. And she starts secretly dating Paul Walker. And when the guy finds out, he ends up beating him up, throwing him into the trunk of his car and driving him into this like nature safari where I guess you can just drive through this thing where there's like lions and panthers and all kinds of other dangerous wild animals that are just loose. They're just loose. There's no cages or nothing. And you can just drive right through. So they take him into this like nature preserve and just dump him. And he gets mauled by a lion and, and goes into a coma. And, while he's in a coma in the hospital, this mm-hmm. this mad scientist steals him and oh, c- cuts open his head, pulls out his brain, and puts the, his brain into a robotic Tyrannosaurus Rex. And he comes back to life as the T-Rex. What? And, why? well, <laughs> I... I'm not really sure why that's just what happens. He's just, he's a mad scientist. You know, he's trying to make everybody live forever in the body of dinosaurs or something. I don't know. So, so as the T-Rex, the first thing he does is gets revenge on the gang who killed him. And he, he just, he just destroys everyone. (laughs) It's so funny when you're watching this, to think about the fact that the theatrical cut of this movie was PG-13. Like this was a was billed as a sort of family-friendly comedy, like a light comedy. And when you watch the gore cut, you're just like, what is going? I mean, he as soon as he turns into the as soon as he gets into the T-Rex, he rips the head off of one of the lab guys and throughout the whole movie Dude, he's slashing people. Their guts are falling out. He's ripping heads off left and right. I mean, the the, the fact that they called it the gore cut, I mean, they weren't kidding. It's pretty damn gory. And I was, I was really surprised at, at how gory it was. Like, w- what happened with this movie where they decided to take what was effectively like this very bloody adult thing and turn it into a kid's movie, basically? Very strange. Wow. So he kills everybody and then like he meets up with Tammy and they like rekindle their relationship, even though he's a dinosaur and, and more happens after that. More ridiculous so things, wait, wait, wait. but so wait, he can, he can talk as the dinosaur. No, he can't talk. He can't talk, but, oh, okay. but he's, he's like able to move his arms and do like motions and things like sort of, there's this whole like stupid charades moment where she's he's trying to tell her that it's like him inside the dinosaur body oh my god it's it's horrendously bad but it's a must see like you just have to see it to believe it it's like i'm not even sure what they were going for with this movie it's so tonally 
all over the place, but it's on Shutter right now. So if you have Shutter, you can watch this. And that's Tammy and the T-Rex. Originally, it was called Tanny, T-A-N-N-Y, and the Teenage T-Rex. And uh-huh. the version, the version that's on Shutter, I haven't watched the Blu-ray version yet, but I imagine it's the same kept the original title cards so when you watch it the the title cards set call it tanny and the teenage t-rex wow incredible yeah from the director of mac and me by the way oh boy Stuart raffle incredible well i saw an elephant sitting still oh i don't know how to i don't know how you t-rex <laughs> Let alone with elephants sitting still. Goodness. Uh, I thought elephants sitting still was, it was fine. I wasn't actually that impressed. I thought it, uh, it, it, uh, it wallowed way too much for me. And it was, you know, like you said, it was, it was kind of difficult to watch knowing what happened, you know, after filming of this movie with its director committing suicide. Mm -hmm. Because like, my God, like, he, most of the dialogue in this movie, for a large portion of it, toward, you know, until the end, you know, it starts turning a little bit. But for the majority of it at the beginning, it's just, it's just nihilistic. It's all hell. Like, they're just, it's just one bad thing after another happening to people yeah. in a very short amount of time. And everyone's just, you know, the, just the vacant look in their eyes. And they just hate life. And they hate everything, and there's no point to any of this. And you're just like, wow, this is like it's too, it's too much. It's kind of too much for me. It was at least, like I said, it's like towards the end there was a little bit of a like he, it did start to come around again. But for a large portion of it, there was a point of me thinking to myself, like, you, is there, like, do you have a comment on, like, what's happening? Like, is he? Is there any point to this, or are we just like wallowing in just abject depression and just you know suffering? Well, I think a lot of it was was a statement on the current political climate in China and the economic yeah. downturn and how how that economic downturn affected these people in diverse and horrific ways. Yeah, it was just it was a bit too much to me for me, you know, especially with that runtime and, you know, and like it started, they started to move towards doing something like anything in their lives, which was welcomed. But at the same time, you know, that was like after three hours and I was kind of like, you know what, like you, you beat me into submission at this point. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I tapped out. Like, yeah it was too much it 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 does just grind you down it just grinds i mean from i don't know probably within the first 30 minutes i was already feeling it like oh my god like i'm just feeling the weight of life just just pushing down on my shoulders as i'm watching it and just feeling like oh my god because like yeah if you if you suffer from depression or if you know anybody who suffers from depression like this is a movie where every character is in full on depression mode the whole time mm-hmm. uh, yep. where, where like they, they can barely talk. They just, they have no energy. They have nothing much to say. They just are absolutely miserable from beginning to end. Like there's no happiness in this movie. There's no happiness. To no, be had. there's absolutely none. And it's also worse because like the majority of the guys, I like the like the that main guy, the the gang leader yeah, or whatever. The guy who <laughs> like, the guy who <clears throat> he sleeps with his meets, best friend's yeah. wife. And then he meets up with this woman like later on in the movie, like two and a half hours later, which was slightly confusing because I have no idea who this woman is. But it was kind of like, Oh, you should know this is the woman he actually wants to be with. And like he blames her for everything. Yeah. You, you rejected me it's all yeah. your fault just well, like, you're such a pathetic piece of shit dude yeah he was yeah he's trying to rationalize the fact that he 
caused the suicide of his best friend. Which he didn't even care about. Which yeah. is even weirder. Yeah. He didn't give two shits. I think he, I think he did care, but I just think he didn't really know how to. Either he was like still in shock, or he was struggling to accept it. Like he hasn't, he didn't hit that stage of the grief, the grieving process yet. Um, yeah, but yeah, he was still a piece of shit. Like, let's be clear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry it didn't work for you. Uh, I, I could see this movie not working for a lot of people. It, it really, it did work for me though like i mean i think a lot of it had to do with just the the scope and the scale of it and the i really love the cinematography in it too like that that really went a long way for me i love those super long takes and those just lingering shots just lingering people brooding so much brooding i like the way that they did it in the in in the sense that uh you can see like the actors working around the camera numerous times throughout yeah kind of like ducking down so the camera can go over them and everything yeah i thought that was awesome i saw killer inside the mind of aaron hernandez this is the documentaries the new documentary series on netflix about aaron hernandez uh if you're not familiar he's the nfl player who um ended uh, it turned out that he ended up murdering a number of people and went to went to prison and killed himself in prison are you familiar with this documentary at all or i'm I'm sure you're familiar with aaron the story of aaron hernandez well it's it's, like i i'm familiar with the story of aaron hernandez but i thought it and i thought he just killed one person i didn't know that he killed multiple people yeah so there's the one there's the one person that he killed that he ended up going to prison for and being convicted of but it turns out that he also killed two people allegedly killed two people and uh he was brought the charges were brought against him for those two murders as well but he was acquitted of those two murders and then like like two days after he got acquitted for those murders he killed himself gotcha and people speculate that the reason that he killed himself after he got acquitted of those two other murders was because he was up for an appeal for the first murder that he that he went to prison for and there is this like rule in massachusetts where or uh, this really old law that says if you die before you can have your appeal hearing that the appeal is automatically granted so what he wanted to do i guess was kill himself he would get appealed meaning that he was not found guilty of the murder and then his contract with the nfl wouldn't have been like severed so that basically his fiance would get his money the money that was owed to him by the NFL because he was on a $40 million contract. Yeah. So I I didn't know about that, but a lot of the other stuff, I think, I mean, just because this is still a relatively new thing that happened, you know, just like five years ago, seven years ago, something like that. It was fine. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was okay. As far as Netflix documentaries go, it was pretty standard. Like Netflix documentaries, the one thing, the one thing about them is that they're always high quality. Like they're always really good production value in the Netflix docs. The, the content held within was like, it was, it was uh, fine. Like, you know, it, it brought, it brought up a lot of questions that you would probably expect. Like the whole, um, uh, what's, what's the, 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 uh, head injury thing. CTI. Is that what it's, I can't remember what it's, it's an acronym. Like, Oh yeah. I forget what it's called. You know, brought up questions of that. It brought up questions of his upbringing. The fact that he was many considered him to be uh, a closeted homosexual. And a lot of people thought that that was causing a lot of this turmoil that he had. So there were, there are a lot of like theories behind his actions 
And I think that maybe it wasn't specifically one of those things, but a combination of all of them. Like the apparently the night he killed himself, he smoked a bunch of that K2 synthetic mm-hmm. marijuana stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's been known to cause like psychosis and stuff. And I think maybe that in combination with the the brain injuries and also the fact that like just a couple days before he killed himself, there was a big expose that came out that essentially outed him as being gay. So if, if he got wind of that, you know, so it's like, I think it was sort of like a culmination of things that, that caused this to happen. Either way, it's a, it's a pretty tragic story. And I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll give it like a, a light recommend. It's, I think it's a three-part documentary. Well, I watched the documentaries. This is one of the, uh, perhaps one of these first uh, documentary hybrids. It's an experiment of sorts. And this is uh, Symbiopsychotaxiplasm Take One from 1968, William Greaves. Uh, this is something that's been on my watch list for ages. And finally, finally forced myself to watch it. Uh, so all it is, is William Greaves is shooting a screen test just one scene in Central Park. And the scene is just a married couple having an argument, right? And so there's a camera with him, you know, him making his movie. That's the main camera. Then there's a second camera that's covering him making the movie. And then there's a third camera that just captures everything that's happening. Everyone, anything in the background, like the guy just has, and you'll see, like, when they're in Central Park, he he's laying out everything. He's telling the third camera guy that he has he has the freedom to do whatever he wants. If he sees someone off in the distance that he thinks is interesting, just start shooting them. Just ignore what the you know what the cast and crew are doing. So it, it oftentimes there's just the one camera, or it'll be a split screen with the two cameras, and sometimes it'll be three screens. And then sometimes the, you know, the one in the middle will kind of enlarge and kind of push the other two out. And it's just really interesting, like, uh, like a behind the scenes making of documentary of like filmmaking. And a lot of it is the two actors kind of trying to get direction from the director himself. And then there's always this kind of this questioning of, is he acting as well? Like, is he is this part of the experiment? Is he kind of pushing these people, you know, trying to break them essentially? And then another thing that happens is, and I don't know if this is, if this was planned or if this just happened organically and he got just, you know, this windfall footage when he went to go edit the thing. Cause he said that he didn't think he had a movie until he found the other footage, which is the, the rest of the crew without his knowledge, took the camera equipment and stuff and set up and filmed themselves kind of discussing the process, like of the, the days of shooting with him and kind of uh, critiquing him and how he works and almost like a mutiny in of itself. So you have that stuff kind of like interjected in between each day. And it's just a really interesting documentary. Yeah, this sounds like it's right up my alley. Is it? Uh, I- Definitely need to check this out. Yeah, because you have no idea what's, you know, like the first scene of the the crew kind of critiquing him, you know, you're like, is this part of it? Is it like, is this playing? Like, is this in the quote unquote script? Or did these guys just literally, without his knowledge, decide to do this? And it looks like he came back in 2005 and did a, Another one, take two and a half. Yes, and this one has the, the take two, which I haven't watched yet, but um, apparently this has the, it was made with the help of Steve Buscemi. So I guess this movie, like, uh, it played 90, I forget what, 90-something at Sundance when Steve Buscemi was there for uh, In the Soup and Reservoir Dogs. And he saw this movie and was, like, blown away. So he reached out to William Greaves and then they kind of worked on making the, the second one, the take two. So Steve Buscemi's actually in that one and like does some of the cinematography and stuff. 
the last one I'll mention was it would be In Search of the Last Action Heroes, which is directed by Oliver Harper. This is a documentary about action movies, and it yeah. it mainly focuses on 80s action, which of, of course it would. If you're if you're making a, a documentary about action movies, you gotta the, the main focus should probably be on in the eighties, but it runs the gamut. It's it starts it pretty much goes through the history of the action genre, and what's interesting is to think about is the fact that ac- action movies have not been around that long. You know, certainly not as long as many other genres. They didn't really start to take shape until the 80s. You know, there were some movies that were coming out that had the the like action movie DNA in them, like war movies and stuff, you know, like The Great Escape and whatnot. But the action movie didn't really become a defined genre until the 80s. Uh, and they talked about all the big ones, you know, pretty much all the biggies that you can think of. They sort of covered and they talked about... You know, they're the influence that those movies like Terminator and Robocop and Commando and um, the Rambo series, like all, all the impact that all those movies had on the action genre and sort of how the action genre evolved over the years and going into the 90s and how Terminator 2 sort of changed the landscape of the action movie and turned it into this sort of big blockbuster, you know, CG filled thing and it it was almost kind of sad because like as they progressed through the 90s like the beginning of the 90s they were still kind of high on the 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 action genre but as they progressed into like the modern era they're just like yeah they're not what they used to be (laughs) like they're just not the same anymore and i was like kind of agreeing with him like yeah action movies i mean we talk about it when we when ryan wants an action movie for ryan watches a movie mm-hmm. and every time we discuss it and we're just like man there are just like not many modern action movies that are truly great anymore they're just not the same uh they interviewed no. they interviewed cynthia rothrock and they talked about like the the kung fu movie craze and the ninja movie craze they talked about canon films and when canon decided that they're going to do action and of course, they talked about like Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Van Damme and all of the, you know, main action movie dudes, Kurt Russell. They interviewed uh, Eric Roberts, Michael Jai White, uh, and they did talk about a bit of the sort of black exploitation style action movies. Bill Duke was in there. So they talked about like Predator. They talked about Aliens, all the biggies. It's a pretty comprehensive documentary, I would say. If you are really into genre movies, I don't think you're going to come out of this, you know, with a whole lot more knowledge than you had previously. I think more than anything, it's just like a kind of a, a celebration of the history of action movies. They're, they didn't really talk about any movies that I hadn't already seen. Like there were some like box covers that they would show for movies that I never saw or never heard of. And I'm just like, oh, I should look into that one. But that's pretty much as far as that went, but it's still pretty solid. Like it's a pretty fun, you know, talking head doc on action movies. You know, we've seen a lot of these movies that, that talk about horror movies and stuff. And I think it's cool that they made one specifically for action movies. Again, that's called in search of the last action heroes that actually comes out on Blu-ray Tuesday. And I think it'll be on digital too. So check it out there it's not like the uh four hour long or no that was longer that was like four and a half hours long that that 80s horror movie documentary i saw last year this is over two hours but it's not it's not quite that comprehensive it doesn't like literally go through every action movie released (laughs) that movie was just so it's it's great but it's out of control yeah it's a bit much Okay, I only have one more, and that's The River Niger from 1976, directed by Krishna Shah. So this is a this is a a, a play, right? It's a pretty popular play that got turned into a a film, and the the playwright did the the script as well. So he did the screenplay, 
and it feels very much like a, a filmed play. The director here, some interesting choices. Much of the movie looks like a TV, a TV show. Like it's not good, like the direction-wise, you know, blocking and everything, shot compositions. But once in a blue moon, he'll do something. He'll, you know, a little flash of creativity in there. It kind of gets you to sit up in your seat a little bit. But mostly what you're getting here is some pretty good performances from James Earl Jones, uh, Cecily Tyson, Louis Gossett Jr. in there, uh, Glenn Turman, which, again, kind of wildly uh, inconsistent. Some of the performances, really good. They're great. Other performances are just really bad. They're either overacting, like wildly overacting, or there's like a lot of this is like serious stuff. This guy, Jeff, comes back from supposedly comes back from the Air Force, but he's keeping a secret that he actually funked out of the Air Force. And his dad, James Earl Jones, gets pissed off, goes on like a six day bender. They can't find him. His mom has cancer, like all the a bunch of bad stuff happening, right? But the, the grandma that lives with him, like sleepwalks, but she sleep, sleepwalks like a mummy with her arms straight out. <laughs> and she just kind of hums a song. And she only sleepwalks to like her bottle of brandy and drinks it and then goes back to sleep. And that's something that they do. <laughs> I don't know if that's like the comic relief, but like it's just, it's wildly out of place. It just doesn't work at all. And that's the problem. Like there's, there's these big emotional dramatic checkpoints throughout the movie where everyone gets to have like their big monologue. So, you know, it feels very much like a play, but the, the biggest issue is those, those pieces in between, like how to get to those checkpoints. It's just a mess. They have no idea how to get to the next checkpoint. Mm. They're just, just doing whatever. And there's just so many things going on. And that's the River Niger. All right, let's talk about some of what we got in theaters this week. On the 24th, we got The Last Full Measure. Mm-hmm. We got The Turning, horror movie. Yeah. We got The Gentleman. That's the new Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie going back to his crime, crime comedy. Crime comedy ensemble. What do you think? What do you think about The Gentleman? Yeah, I mean, I'll check it out at some point. I mean, I I hope it's good. Like, I hope it's a return to form for Mister Ritchie. Yeah, but I also feel like I'm I'm past that in in my age. Ah, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it looks like it'll be fine, but it's not something that's going to be you know wowing me like it did back when I was you know sixteen. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because like when. Lockstock and and Snatch came out. We were like we were at the prime age for that to to really for those movies to really appeal to us as you know dudes in our late teens getting into yeah. film. I think uh, yeah, I think the same could be said about Boondock Saints. <laughs> I remember how how incredible I thought Boondock Saints was. <laughs> Do you still feel that way? I honestly I have not watched it in in years. I want to say probably, probably yeah, I want to say probably no, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to try to check out the gentleman. It, it looks like it could be kind of fun. That's really it for theaters on VOD this week. Let's see. We have Jay and Silent Bob reboot. That's on the 21st. This had a really weird release. This, this was released in theaters for a very short time. There was like, I, I think it was maybe one of those like roadshow type deals, but I put it on the VOD calendar anyway, just because it didn't get like a wide release in theaters or anything like that. And I think that once it's on digital, that's where a lot of people are going to see it. Mm -hmm. I'll check. I I haven't seen it yet. Like I'll check this out when it comes out. I'm I'm slightly curious just to see. This is another one, you know, Kevin Smith movies are another one that Mm -hmm. when you're, when, when you're young, when you're younger, Man, they just, they hit the nail on the head. But as you get older, you're just like, hmm, no, not really. I don't I don't know if I'm really into this as much. I don't know, though. I, I enjoyed Clerks 2 a lot, so we'll, we'll see. My Name is Maisha comes out on the 24th. And it looks like that's it for VOD this week. Wow. 
Yeah, that's all, that's all I have on the list here. Blu-ray, we got a bunch of stuff. We got The House by the Cemetery from 1981. This is a Blue Underground release. It's a limited edition. We got Zombieland Double Tap. I was a little disappointed with that. It was just basically another Zombieland movie. I think I think if that movie came out like a year after the first one, it would have been a hit. But because it was, yeah. it, was just, it was just too long, it just it took them too yeah. long to make no it. No one cared. No one cared. Yeah, I, I think it's unfortunate because it's a pretty solid movie. It's it's pretty funny, some good action, but it just too late, man. Just too late. Giant, Jay and Silent Bob reboot comes out on Blu-ray. We got Pain and Glory from last year. The Adams Family. This is the animated one from last year. Sliding Doors is coming out. This is a collector's edition. That's from 1998. In Search of the Last Action Heroes. Dragonfly from 2002. That's the Kevin Costner one. Remember that? Dragonfly. Dragonfly. (laughs) I don't know if I ever saw it. I I remember it was like not good. I remember that. Um, I remember that came that came out. This was during a time when like Kevin Costner was just putting out like stinker after stinker. Like I, I don't know when it started. Maybe it started with Waterworld, but I remember like it was like Waterworld and the Postman and Dragonfly and like there's. Well, uh, yeah. I think there were some other ones sprinkled in there too. Miles, three thousand miles to Graceland. <laughs> three thousand miles to Graceland. Yeah, he just he had a really rough string of movies there. Black and Blue from last year got Countdown from last year. I mentioned that on the show last week. The Courier from last year. Idlewild from 2006. Idlewild. Remember that one? I do. Isn't that the The outcast? outcast Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I remember, I don't think I ever saw it, but I remember the trailers and thinking, man, that movie looks like, like visually looks really good, but I don't know. Well, now, and now's your time. Now's your time. Uh, I think the time's yeah, passed. No. I think we're past no. Idlewild. Oh, man. That's uh, pretty much it. What about Criterions this week? Oh, we got one. We got a Godard from 1963. With Tite Soldat, you get uh, some interviews from the 60s and a uh, new English subtitle translation. And that's about it. Zipport. Not cool. a whole lot going with the special features there. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week. A big thanks to Podcorn for sponsoring this episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, please consider giving us a review on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. Yeah.